0: Hi, this is Ava, and my mom. This week on the show, NPR reporter Nathan Rot and the host of Greater LA from KCRW, Steve Chiatakis. Okay, let's start the show.
1: Boom. That was unbelievably cute. <laughs> He said my name right.
0: (laughs) She just lost her front tooth last week, too, so she's a little lispy.
1: Did the tooth fairy come?
0: Sure did. How much? Not that much. (laughs) Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh, in for Sam Sanders, here at NPR West in Culver City with, as Ava said, Steve Chiatakis from NPR member station KCRW. Steve, you're also hosting a new show, right?
1: Greater LA. Greater Every day, 1 o'clock. Every day. KCRW.
0: Greater LA, every day.
1: KCRW.com. Sorry. Also
0: here with NPR reporter <laughs> Nate Rod, who covers the environment, and the West.
1: The West. Maybe you East
0: Coasters have heard of it.
1: Yeah, a it's a large bureau, by the way. The whole here. West.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Each week we start the show with a song connected to the news. This song is, of course...
1: I say a little prayer for you. Dionne That's Warwick.
0: Him. Aretha Franklin sang this oh. version.
1: Whoa.
0: Aretha Franklin is in the news because even though she died last August, she didn't have a formal will to decide what she wanted to do with her estate. So that includes the rights to her property, her likeness, her music. This week she's back in the news. Do you all know why?
2: It's getting ugly. <laughs> Good guess. <I> mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> that, those are three words, too. It's getting <laughs> ugly, right?
0: Franklin's niece found three handwritten wills, one of them under a couch cushion. Ooh. What? Two others were inside a locked cabinet. They're from 2010, the third one from 2014. That's the most recent one. All three were filed in court on Monday. There's lines crossed out
2: of them and revisions. so they say the same thing? Whoa. Like, There's differences. Yeah.
0: And so now, lines as you said, crossed out. Oh, wow. That's
2: there's That's a good reminder dispute. to all listeners. Is that one of those Have, things? A- Have a will. Like, maintain a will. And maybe don't put it under your couch cushion. It's like
1: Cheeto stains on it. But the lines crossed out. <laughs> like the, like you know, oh, Susan, or whoever, you know, it's like, oh, no, she, uh-uh, she's not getting my money. Yeah, there's a story right? there. Yeah, you know there is.
0: Well, there's a court hearing set for this on June yeah. 12th. What are y'all going to do with your estates?
1: Oh <laughs> <All laughs> estates, you're funny.
0: Away.
3: <laughs>
0: well, with that, we're going to start the show as we always do. Each of us will describe some news of the week in three words. Nate, you're up first.
2: Woo! Starting out hot. Okay. My three words. Earth to humans. Mm. Mm. This is the Earth. Kind of trying to send us signals that maybe not all is well. Um, so I'm going to talk about extreme weather because we've had a lot of it in the last week. There is more than a foot of snow in parts of Colorado.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: My poor little sister almost lost her car to a falling branch. Oh, ouch. That's
1: uh, real.
2: There were more than 30 tornadoes that touched down in Oklahoma, Missouri, the Midwest, Southern Plains. Uh, You had storms causing flooding in those areas. They add that on top of all the flooding that's been happening along the Mississippi River for months now. Then you had the first named storm of the hurricane season, Andrea. And bear in mind, hurricane season does not start until June 1st. All of these crazy events, you can't say any of them are directly a result of climate change, but these are the types of extreme weather events that are going to become more and more prevalent with climate change. Right. So I think there might be a little bit of a signal there.
0: And when you go out and cover these communities that are devastated by extreme weather, um, is there any more talk now about climate change and the possible connection to the weather events?
2: That's a good question. And I don't know that I could say yes. I mean, I know that when I covered the wildfires last year in California, the Woolsey Fire, all those down in the south, uh, southern part of the state, some people made that correlation. I think generally, when I've been to like these crazy events, people are so busy trying to wrestle the giant gorilla, which is, you know, my house is threatened or, right. or i just flooded my entire like my family but there is polling that does indicate that people are now connecting these extreme weather events more and more to climate change and so i think you know there is a there is a connection there
0: grist.org the environmental publication calculated that abc's world news tonight spent more time covering the birth of royal baby archie in one week mm. than the show spent on climate change in all of 2018 <laughs>
1: I mean, we're interested in what we're interested in, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And it seems
0: like as human beings and as news consumers, we can more easily wrap our heads around, hey, new baby, than slow-moving planetary ruin.
2: Did any of the coverage of Baby Archie be like,
1: Here's the world, baby. Archie's going
2: to it's be going, living in. Yeah, in Shanghai 50. will be
0: underwater. Should we
1: rename it from climate change to slow-moving planetary, planetary ruin. ruin. Maybe that would. I mean, bring that's an idea. A, there no. is
2: a debate right now that, like, I know the Guardian put out a thing recently where they were not going to call it climate change anymore, but they were going to call it a climate crisis. And I think you know, there's a debate to be had about whether or not changing the language we use around this would maybe bring some new attention to it because, like so many things, we talk about it, we talk about it, we talk about it, and I think you know people become conditioned to it where it just goes in one ear and out the other.
1: Well, it used to be called global warming at one time, right? right? That's what we used to call it, global warming. And then everybody, and I I don't know how it got modified a little bit, that, hey, you know, the climate changes. I mean, we've been around for millennia, right? But it's proof
0: that you can change the sort of... um, Naming, right? The labeling around Oh, of course, things. of course. Or branding.
1: Just ask CNN. Yeah, I think the climate, I think climate.
0: Climate branding climate needs, a, needs an update. Climate scientists,
2: yeah. We need some marketing. in space. Slow moving,
1: planetary ruin.
0: Okay, so then follow-up question is, how do you cope with this sense of helplessness around climate change, right? How do we mourn the environments that we're losing um, and then adapt to the worst effects?
2: That's Anybody want to take that? question? <laughs> I, I I do a lot of stories where I talk to people about like, Solutions that people are looking to to try to mitigate the problem of climate change. And what you often come to at the end is this question of, well, is that going to be enough? And mm. the answer is almost always no, which is, yeah, kind of a leaves you feeling a little powerless. But two things, I do think it's important to stop and like take a second and grieve some of the stuff mm. that's going away. Like where I grew up, we've had pine beetle infestations that have totally devastated the forest that I used to hang out in wildfires have destroyed some of my favorite places to go hike around here and look these are natural things they happen they're not in and of themselves bad but the world is changing and i think it's important to like kind of absorb that because i think that does lend itself to maybe feeling like you need to take action or feeling a little inspired in a way to change your own personal habits yeah
0: i'm gonna go next my three words are yet another tragedy the Trump administration was forced to admit a sixth migrant child died in U.S. custody within the past eight months. No migrant child had died in federal custody since 2010. This 10-year-old, though, this case is a little bit different. I don't know how much y'all have read about this, but this 10-year-old actually died last September. But her death wasn't reported until CBS News uh, put out a story earlier this week. And then the government you know, had to back it up. Yeah. HHS, Health and Human Services, says the girl had heart issues and was, quote, medically fragile when she was admitted into U.S. custody in the first place. But the fact that she died in September and that the news just came out now, um, and this is days after a 16-year-old Guatemalan boy died in U.S. custody, made folks wonder, could there be other migrant deaths that we don't know about? Yeah.
2: I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. What don't we know? Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Democrats are calling for an investigation. So is there a sense, guys, that these kids aren't humanized in the same way as American kids because we have fewer visuals um, of what's happening and these detention centers have been closed off to press? Like, we are still outraged, I guess, as the public by these deaths. But do you sense that there's more distance between your receiving of this news and, say, you know, American children's deaths?
1: I I don't know how outraged we really are, Hmm. actually, to Hmm. be quite honest with you. I mean, we hear about these... Uh, incidents in the news, they're horrible. They're tragedies. And then it's like, okay, well, it's just another story and a bad news day, right? And like you say, what don't we know? What's not being reported? And we have just become so desensitized to this. Sure.
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's something... Very. Like we just talked about climate change. We're very good at averting, <laughs> <laughs> at, at not looking at crises until they reach our front door.
0: And that's the thing. I mean, there's a, probably a psychological link to climate change and um, migrant child helplessness, right? Oh, for the sure. The fact that we don't have any way to personally change it, or we feel like we can't have an impact on the situation, is it sort of like that?
2: Yeah, and I mean, you want to talk about connections? Like, you think the migrant crisis right now is extreme? Like wait until Climate Refugees. Climate refugees, yeah.
0: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Elise Hugh, in for Sam Sanders, here with our guest this week, NPR reporter Nate Rott, and reporter slash host Steve Chiatekis from NPR Member Station, KCRW. Steve, you're up next.
1: Your three words. Everything is old. Are you Except talking me. about, is
0: it your birthday? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Oh, how
1: dare you, Elise? I'm, I'm kidding. I can't believe you did that to me. Um, We saw this week, speaking of the Trump administration, the president, um, and again, there are theories abound in D.C. of whether this was manufactured or not. But he stormed out of this meeting. There was going to be this great meeting on infrastructure. They had met uh, several weeks before with Chuck and Nancy.
0: Oh, good old Chuck and Nancy.
1: Minority leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the, the House Speaker. And, you know, they were in the White House. And then he said, I don't think we can do investigations and legislation at the same time. And, you know, uh, time and again, the administration has tried to pivot, right, from, from scandal to script.
0: So there's going to be no legislative activity out of the rest of this Congress then because there are signs that things have ground to a halt. There are two White House aides who were liaisons to Congress that have quit. This week, yes. Um, It's probably unrelated because I think they announced their resignations before that. But I think it's an acknowledgement, right, that there isn't going to be much movement on infrastructure, probably. And and the president
1: movement? (laughs) No, No, and that's what we're saying. I mean, that that every time there was, you know, we're trying to we're trying to pivot from scandal. We're gonna we're gonna put infrastructure back out there because everybody loves to talk about the crumbling infrastructure, the what is it, uh, obsolete bridges and things like that that need uh, functionally obsolete bridges that need. uh, Many people will be thinking
2: about that this Memorial Day weekend when they get on the road and you're like, wow, especially here in California, some of our roads are not in the most pristine condition.
1: Um, and then you have, as far as infrastructure goes, you have Democrats who are, uh, I think, split on exactly how to... How to tackle this? Like, do we go for full impeachment? But then right. you have Nancy
2: Pelosi and you have others, and who's Democratic saying this would be a political person, do
1: nightmare right. for us if we if we tackled impeachment? Just let the let the process happen, and and maybe in 2020 the people of America will unelect him.
0: And we should make clear that impeachment is not the same as removal from office. That they could start this inquiry this then becomes the political question, right? right? Like, is this bad politics?
2: Yeah, it's above my pay grade. Right? But I mean, I think what Nancy Pelosi and others in Democratic leadership are worried about is that if you make a move to impeach, Trump's
1: base will get, you know... It, it energizes yeah, the opponent. It's, it's, I, but I don't know how, how then, much more energized they can get. I mean, I, I because they're really angry about I, a lot of things. I think that's
2: I think that's oversimplifying it because I think there are people that have I have talked to many people in my reporting that voted for Donald Trump who feel like he's gotten an unfair shake and that from the beginning, Democrats and everybody else have been obstructionist. They've just tried to slow him down, which, you know, there's many people that voted for Barack Obama who could say the exact same thing exactly from the party. But I I don't want to, I don't think people are just angry about that. I think people feel like, you know what? I I want my vote to feel like it mattered. I voted for this guy. I want to see him do what he's going to do and what he tried to say he was going to do. And we'll go from there.
0: Okay, it's time for a break. Coming up, you will not believe the VIP treatment some D.C. bigwigs get when they go out to eat in the nation's capital. Steve, Nate, you know the feeling, right? When you pull up in your Ferrari to the valet stand. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But then the battery dies. What? Yeah. So while, while oh. you're in the restaurant sipping your $400 wine, the valet guys just install a new battery for you
1: <gasps> while you're Sounds like your a Tuesday. Very nice. <laughs> Sounds very like beneficent. a Tuesday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: That's in a minute. I'm Elise Hugh and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Verbo. Finding the perfect vacation home is hard. You start off looking for a beach house big enough for six and wind up watching videos of surfing dogs. Verbo does the hard work for you. Whatever your budget or what you want from the home, a yard, grill, or even a private pool, Verbo's got you covered. Download the Verbo app, VRBO, to discover everything from condos and cabins to villas and castles. Let Verbo find a home that matches you Support also comes from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings, year after year, home after home. All that more they do, That's home services. Start your home search at berkshirehathawayhs.com. James Reeb was fatally beaten on Selma Street in 1965. His death would galvanize the nation. But in a courtroom nine months later, a
1: not guilty verdict was handed down. In episode two, the trial and the birth of a conspiracy theory. From NPR, it's white lies. Listen and subscribe now.
0: We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh, in for Sam Sanders, here with our guest this week, Steve Chiotakis, host of Greater LA from NPR member station KCRW. Hey, Steve. Hi, Elise. And here with NPR reporter Nate Rott, who covers the environment and the West. Hey, Nate.
2: Sup? Oh,
1: please. (laughs) Oh, no. Hey, dudes. Hey.
2: So
0: we're in LA. Guys, what's your most memorable celebrity run-in?
1: Ooh. Wow, that's a good I, question. I ran into Tom Hanks in church.
2: In, Chir- he in church, he goes to your church. Does wait? You no. go to
1: church sometimes. I'm one of those. I'm one of those Christian. You know, uh, uh, what do they call Easter them? Uh, and Christmas? Christmas and Easter mm-hmm. Christians. Yeah, and so I on a Good Friday I went to church and I was there in the lobby. Um, took a friend of mine with me, and uh, she tugs on my jacket and she's like, "Somebody's in the lobby." And I turned around, and there he was. And, I, and she was like, go walk up to him. He probably listens to you on the radio. And I did. And I said, hi, Tom, Steve Chiatakis. Uh-huh. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, of course you're Greek. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually the loveliest man. He's so nice. Ta- he is so nice. And he, 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 like, talked for 10, 15 minutes to where wow. the women in the front of the and, – and the men, too. But mostly the women in the front lobby of the church were like, shh. Uh, yeah, it oh, was one of those things. Can That's you sh- Tom Hanks? I mean, you know, I was trying to do that to
0: Spike Lee in our lobby. We're, are you serious? Yeah, because yeah, I shushed was like, him? no, no, I wanted to because I heard somebody loud talking on his cell phone in that walkie-talkie style. And I hate it when people talk on their cell phone like it's a walkie-talkie. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, who is that guy? And so I just like swing around, yeah, uh, from from my desk into the lobby, and it's director Spike Lee, Spike Lee. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, eh, moonwalking back.
1: He was doing a Spike lead joint right there in the lobby, wasn't he? Nate?
2: There's a lot of celebrities that come through here that you can sometimes just make idle chit-chat with. So, Have uh, you
0: made idle chit-chat with anyone yeah. in the kitchen? So this, is,
2: this is an embarrassing story because I love his music. But uh, Kendrick Lamar was here when he was like, I mean, I'm sure he was already big and people knew who he was. Yeah, I did not know what he looked like. Okay. And so uh, here at NPR West, we have like this bookshelf where there's books that get sent to us that people can take. And Kendrick Lamar was looking at the books and I was getting <laughs> coffee next to that little book station and it was raining, which is a very rare thing in LA. And so uh, he'd come in and he was looking, and he was taking off like a rain jacket. And I was like, oh, it's still raining out there. <laughs> And we had this, like, 10-minute conversation about the weather. And you had Um, no idea who he was. And I had no idea who he was. (laughs) And Kendrick Lamar. I got done, and I walked back into my desk. I was like, what were you talking to Kendrick Lamar about? I was
1: like, (laughs) no.
0: Well, whether you recognize them or not, when VIPs show up at restaurants, you might wonder if they get
3: treated a little differently. And the answer is yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Jessica Sidman. She wrote about everything that goes on behind the curtain when it comes to VIP dining, but not here in Hollywood. Jessica is the food editor for Washingtonian Magazine in Washington, D.C., where the VIPs are much less recognizable, but still get all the
3: perks that you don't. You know, you walk in and you get a a glass of bubbly, complimentary, and maybe you get a little extra something from the chef. Um, The biggest perk, especially Mm -hmm. in Washington... And really anywhere is just being able to get the table that you want uh, on a busy night with no reservation just for those special guests. Yeah,
0: I wanted to know. So if you're a maitre d' at one of these restaurants and your tables are totally booked, how do you pull a table out of thin air (laughs) for the elite?
3: (laughs) They can work some magic. It, It does depend. There are some restaurants that will always have, you know, some call it like a pocket table where they just keep it open just in case that investor or that um, regular comes in. Other times, maybe you move some people around. Maybe you prioritize certain people above others. It's uh, not always a fair system.
0: And your piece is really dishy with the perks. So tell us about a few of the more extreme examples or what was what were ones that really struck you when you were reporting the piece?
3: Right. So it might be anything from, You know, the restaurant keeps a certain brand of tequila that you like just for you and special orders it. And no, it's not on the menu. (laughs) There's a a very high-end restaurant in D.C. called Mini Bar from Jose Andres. Right. And Mm -hmm. the regular VIPs there have engraved steak knives. And every time they come to dine, they get their special (laughs) steak knife with their name on it. (laughs) Uh, one of my favorite stories, this is a little bit of an older story, about um, a very old-school steakhouse called the Prime Rib. Um, they had a guest come in one time, a VIP, who showed up in a Ferrari, and um, the Ferrari stopped working as, as soon as he pulled into the valet. So he goes off to eat dinner, and while he's in there, the maitre d' gets his car fixed for him, and that so is And so by the time he's ready to go, his Ferrari is ready for him. My goodness. <laughs>
0: how do these restaurants, though, how do they even keep up with knowing who's who? And I ask this because I'm based here in L.A., and politicians don't exactly look like Reese Witherspoon, you know? <laughs> exactly. So they're not instantly recognizable. <laughs> right. And, and then administrations change, obviously, every four years or every eight years. So how do these restaurants... Even keep up with knowing who is a VIP.
3: Right. And a lot, most of the VIPs are not famous faces, we should say. Um, Most of them are your everyday regulars. Uh, You don't necessarily have to be rich and famous. But um, restaurants keep insane amounts of information about their guests. On the back end of the reservation system, Open Table or Resi or whatever it is, there's a place where they can keep notes. And those notes, are very, very detailed, whether it's a preferred table, preferred server, favorite wine. Um, Some will literally track every single thing you ate and what if you made any comments about what you ate. Wow. Your spouse's name, your children's name. You don't want a straw in your drink. (laughs) And then a few restaurants in D.C., Will have lookbooks maybe at the host lookbooks like
0: modeling agencies have.
3: Yeah, exactly, and it'll have photos of VIPs that they need to keep an eye out for. <laughs> so, you know, there's just a little, a little picture, maybe a note or two about things they like, where they like to sit. Maybe it's updated when there's a new administration or
0: it's or after an election. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly, exactly.
0: And. What happens in cases when prominent Republicans and prominent Democrats come to the same restaurant at the same time? Because Washington, D.C., as we know, isn't as genial and collegiate as it once was. So do restaurants sit political enemies near each other? And what happens in these cases?
3: Right. So probably most restaurants will not care. They'll see them next to each other, Okay. whatever. But I do tell a story in the future about... Um, Steve Scalise coming in. He's a regular at this restaurant near the White House. And a prominent House Republican. Yep. Exactly. So he's at his regular booth. And then Valerie Jarrett comes in. Former Obama advisor. <laughs> exactly. And they're about to seat Valerie next to Steve Scalise. And the maitre d' intervenes and says, oh, wait, 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 no, no, no. <laughs> We can't see the prominent Republican and Democrat next to each other. We have to seat them on opposite ends of the dining room. Not even that they would have any bad blood or be opposed to it, but just in case.
0: There have also been restaurants um, that have created kind of tempests because they've asked members of the Trump administration to leave Mm -hmm. or occasions where politicians have been approached by other diners, as you've written about. So what's the calculus like for restaurants when these types of things occur?
3: Right. Uh, I talked to one restaurateur who's hosted the likes of um, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and um, White House advisor Stephen Miller. And he said Mm. that he tries to seat them away from the windows so that people walking by on the sidewalk won't see them and get upset and um, create some sort of confrontation. Uh, it was a little bit of a problem with Stephen Miller because apparently Stephen Miller liked to sit in the middle of the dining room, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Okay. exactly. And in this restaurant tour, actually, did have an issue where he greeted Stephen Miller, and another diner saw it, and afterward was very upset that Stephen Miller was treated warmly and threatened to boycott the restaurant. Uh, So, you know, a lot of businesses are kind of on ice trying to figure out how to navigate this new political environment that we're in. And in that particular case, um, after Stephen Miller had been in a few times, the restaurateur uh, actually did decide to broach politics with him and spoke his piece about how immigrants were important to his restaurant and... Stephen Miller listened patiently and um, and said, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, but hasn't been back to the restaurant since.
0: Did this story make you think about power and inequality in a new way? Because these folks that you're writing about, specifically the lawmakers, are really elected to represent the people, right? Mm-hmm. They are civil servants, but they're living in this world that bends over for them in a way that most of us will never get to experience.
3: Yes and no. Um It's not always a democracy in restaurants. You know, people do get treated better than other people. I mean, as fun as it is to talk about rich and famous people, the top VIPs are still the regulars. Okay. And really anyone can be a regular. It's just a matter of going to your favorite restaurant all the time, uh, becoming a familiar face. You know, don't be a jerk. Uh, Treat the staff like human beings. Don't demand things. Definitely don't say, do you know who I am? (laughs) And tip well, and, and you too can be a VIP. Jessica Sidman, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Jessica Sidman for all that dish. Again, she wrote about VIP dining in the nation's capital for The Washingtonian. You can check out her story online. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh, In for Sam Sanders, here this week with Steve Chiatekis, reporter and host at NPR Member Station KCRW, and NPR reporter Nate Rott. What did y'all think, Karen Jessica there?
1: I Stephen Miller sitting in the middle of the restaurant <laughs> made me wish I had a lot of money.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. well welcome to that. Public Radio Day. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. With that, <laughs> it's time for another break. Uh-huh. In just a minute, we'll play everyone's favorite meaningless guessing game. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, and we'll be right back.
4: Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Support also comes from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more. This week on Rough Translation...
0: I'm not angry
4: a reporter discovers an uncomfortable truth about her mother's alcoholism
0: i know that i lied to myself you lied to me i lied to everybody
1: julia
4: and then she travels to the other side of the world to find out if there's a better way to deal with lies on rough translation
0: you're listening to it's been a minute from npr the show where we catch up on the week that was I'm Elise Hugh, in for Sam Sanders, here this week with Steve Chiatekis, reporter and host of Greater LA from NPR member station KCRW. Hey, Steve. Hi, Elise. Also here with Nate Rott, who covers the environment and the West for NPR. Hey, Nate. Hello. Oh, he didn't say sup. Sup, kind of... I said, ahoy. Sup. <laughs> it's time for a game we call "Who Said That." Ooh, I'm just saying that. Who said that? The who rules are simple. That? I share a That's quote that. from the week. Ooh. Y'all have to guess who said that, or at least the story it refers to. So if you don't know the person who gave the quote, you can just refer to the story. The winner gets absolutely nothing.
1: Oh. Ooh, mm. I knew it. I A knew steak
0: it. knife with your name carved in it.
1: Really, And not even that, <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: All right, first quote. Already paid $13 million in scholarships have already put 400 men through Morehouse.
2: Ooh, uh, oh, that that's was, Oprah. The Bam. Do you remember was the
0: guy.
2: This was story. Uh, yes, uh, I'm not going to remember the guy's name, but super billionaire paid for uh, like a bunch of Robert Smith. Th- Robert Smith. Robert, Robert Smith. Smith. Good job. Smith. Boom. He <laughs> you said, get half a point for that. Oh, really?
1: Oh, yeah, really. Because I mean, no it's
0: sort of related. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, one point, half a point. So, so like, I'm going
2: to f- forget the name of the college, but Morehouse. 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 Yeah. And uh, told everybody there that he was going to pay off their student debt mm-hmm. and. Somebody added Oprah on Instagram yes. or something. Yes. And was basically saying, like, hey, Oprah, why can't you pay for a bunch of people's college? And she replied. She clapped back. Yeah. Also, is does that mean that Oprah's just like, is oh, she just like
1: scrolling on Instagram, looking through her sure comments? Sure does.
0: I mean, she gets her replies too, just like the rest of us. Just yeah, but like you a and me.
1: lot of them, Elise. <laughs> Probably more than you. <laughs> Definitely or me, more or than Nate. me. Yeah.
0: But she said she's already paid 13 million and put 400 men through Morehouse. So she's like, all right. Next quote. Message to Amazon. Now that you have regular people making your home deliveries, maybe they should wear a vest with Amazon delivery on it. I almost shot an MF creeping up on my crib last night. Just saying. He's on Law
1: & Order. Uh, Chris Maloney? Nope. Oh, please. A buzzer? <laughs> really? Oh. oh, I have no
2: idea. Yeah, I have no idea.
0: Ice tea. Oh, ice tea. Yeah. In a tweet about Amazon flex delivery after he almost shot a delivery man, he said that. Um, The official Amazon Twitter responded going, thanks for the feedback, and then escalated (laughs) his feedback (laughs) to the logistics team for review. Then Dave Clark, who is a senior VP of worldwide operations at Amazon, tweeted, thanks for the suggestion. We MFing love you (laughs) and our drivers. Lots of innovations coming on
1: this. Love iced tea.
0: Okay, so you're at half a point for Robert Smith. You're at a full point for Oprah. Final quote. You can't catch up though, huh? Wait, no, you could win. You You
1: could win. My math
0: is awesome. Okay, again, you don't have to come up with the person who said it. It can also be the story. Here's the quote. We try to stress that this should be a hobby they do for the enjoyment of making a video. And if they do it with the expectation of becoming rich and famous, it will be a stress for the family.
1: Ooh. what's the story? Is this about social influencers? Uh um, Yes,
0: Close. you're you're in the right zone. That's uh, not
2: half point zone, is it? Uh, oh, Nathan.
1: Uh, yeah. Um ooh. Social um,
2: influencers doing it for the right reason. Is it a Kardashian? Oh, is this no. have does this have something No. I was going to This is we're kind of getting into that season where people are going into like national parks and taking dumb pictures of themselves doing unbelievable stupid things like petting bears and <laughs> Petting bears. There's not really a good reason there.
1: I don't think a petting bear is going to be a good good look on camera. I have no idea.
0: Close. So the Wall Street Journal, this is from a Wall Street Journal story this week about YouTube camps for kids starting as young as age five. Whoa. YouTube camps? That's right.
1: YouTube these, camps.
0: Tuition for these camps can range from the hundreds to over $1,000 a week, and they prep kids with technical tools like shooting and editing, but also advice on building your own
1: voice and brand. Oh, my God, as if being a kid wasn't stressful enough. That's right. Just let the kids have Social fun. influencing, though. I mean, I get a half a point for that, don't I? Come on, Elise.
0: Okay, fine. You know what? I'm going to give it to you. You are, and y'all are tied. What?
1: Wow, because you you've just great lobbied so hard. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nate. Let's just shake really? hands here. Really? Yeah.
0: And both yeah. of you win nothing.
1: Nothing. Wow. This
0: is the first tie that I've overseen. Really? And really, the only reason you tied is because you really sort of pushed hard. For I kind that of forced it. Point. I forced yeah. the Let's tie. Let's get
2: back to this real quick, though. YouTube camps for kids. So you pay to train kids on how to. Shoot, edit, but then also how to be like a develop your own voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to say something different and distinct, like Olivia Jade, Uh, Lori Laughlin's daughter. Right. So that was a tie. Yeah. Congratulations to both of you no for steak getting knives. one point. Yeah. No steak knives. Yeah. You win nothing. I'll
1: cut you with my steak
2: knife. <laughs> <laughs> No,
0: I'm sorry. There's too much that death in this podcast right now. Oh, yeah.
1: I see yeah. what you did there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Juices, get it. Juice. Oh, gosh. Got it. Yeah. Got it. All, right. No
0: boy. all right. That concludes Who Said That. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Each week, we ask listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage them to brag, and they do. Let's listen.
3: This is Katie. And Megan. The best part of our week
0: is after two years of planning and the completion of a master's degree by Megan, we are currently standing
3: in Amalienborg Square where we watched the changing of the guard and stumbled upon the Copenhagen Marathon. We hope hope you're you're having having a great great week. This is Sarah. The best part about my week is that I accepted a new full-time job with benefits and I won't be living paycheck to paycheck for the first time in three years. This is Nicole. The best thing that happened to me this week as I moved from Roanoke, Virginia to Burney, Texas. I graduated with my master's degree, and this weekend I'm moving back to the West Coast,
2: West Coast.
3: The best part of my week was running a 5K for an organization I support without taking any breaks.
2: The best parts of my week was celebrating my 10th year with my partner, moving Ooh. in with my partner and my baby brother, and reading in New York City for the first time. We're walking home with McDonald's, so,
3: woo! This is Jasmine.
2: This is Elijah.
3: The best part of our week was gathering together with our family and family friends and honoring our grandfather in his homegoing. He was 92 years old. He was married to our grandmother for 71 years. He worked in the rubber plants in Akron, Ohio, for 45 years. But more than anything, he was passionate about carpentry, He got up every day. He worked very hard. He built his own house and the entire community around him. Um, Even though it's a sad occasion, we're really happy that we could get together and really honor his legacy. Hope you have a great week. Bye.
0: Thanks to those listeners you just heard. Katie and Megan, Sarah, Nicole, Angela. Maggie, Michael, and Jasmine, and her whole family in Ohio. And thanks to all the listeners who send us their best things every week. We appreciate and hear them all, even though we only have time for a few here in the show. It's time to say goodbye to you both, and we're going to do that with a little Aretha. Singing, I say a little prayer. Aretha, as we mentioned earlier, left three handwritten wills in her Detroit home that were just discovered earlier this month and filed in court this week. One of them, under a couch
1: cushion. (laughs) And a lot of lines crossed out.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a whole thing, (laughs) y'all. Two words, notary public. (laughs) A huge thank you to our guests and my friends. Steve Chiatakis from NPR member station KCRW, host of The Daily Show Greater LA. Thanks for being here, Steve. Thank
1: you, Elise. Thank you, Nate.
0: And NPR reporter covering the environment in the West, Nate Rott. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. I'm Elise Hugh. I'm hosting a new video show that we just rolled out two weeks ago. What's it called? Future You with Elise Hu, and you knew that. (laughs) It's a new monthly original video series exploring who we will be in the future, what kind of superhuman abilities we'll have in the year 2050. Nate, you're co-starring in the June episode.
3: Episode three, check
2: it out. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna, we jumped. (laughs) Why is he co-hosting?
0: Oh. It's not a Uh. (laughs) co-host. Find it at npr.org slash future you, or you can find it on YouTube, I didn't even go to YouTube camp. Really? Wow. Oh. It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, with Steve Nelson, our director of programming. Our editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. Additional editing this week from Kara Tallow. And senior vice president of programming at NPR is Anya Grunman. Sam, he's back next week. I'm Elise Hugh. Thanks for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. My name is
3: Isha and I'm for years old. and
0: this week on the show the host the host of greater LA of greater LA Steve Steve Chiatakis Steve Chiatakis Chiatakis just say Steve Chiatakis
3: Steve Chiatakis Steve
0: Steve Chiatakis
3: I said a little W. Steve
0: Steve Chiatakis You're eating your mango!